Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I was driving the other week and I saw a a sign, you know, one of those programmable like Mm -hmm. Department of Transportation signs. And it said, do not stop along highways to play in snow. My question for you is how many times do you think that happened for them to put up a whole sign about it? Just one time to realize that somebody out there is dumb enough to try it. Would you, though, if you live somewhere that never got snow and suddenly there's snow? No! You wouldn't? You don't stop on highways. No, you can pull off on an exit, enjoy yourself, yeah. go, go find a little place, a little a little overlook or rest stop. But don't, don't, also gross, what is that snow you're playing in anyway? That's toxic and it's not going to give you superpowers. Not the good kind of toxic. Not the fun kind of Marvel toxic. It's like cancer toxic. No. This week, we're joined by Representative Grace Meng, Amanda Nguyen, and Grace Parajani to take on the following questions. Is your state's governor trying to make it illegal for you to travel to get health care? How are members of the AAPI community supporting each other in the wake of tragedy? Are you annoying? And has Taylor Swift united the Senate? All this and more right now. Alyssa. I feel like you're going to be able to relate to this analogy that I'm about to start the news segment on. Okay. Okay. You get a car. When you first start driving it, it's like, it's not perfect, but it does the job. You know, it gets you from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And you just keep driving it and, you know, for longer than you should. And even with routine maintenance, things are kind of going south. It's becoming more and more feeble. Pieces are falling out. And by the time you finally give up on it, it's basically like a Fred Flintstones car. Like you barely can get from place to place. Yeah. But you still like need the car, you know, even though it is really, really, you know, janky and only starts half the time, especially if it's too cold, you still need your car. Yeah. I feel like that was what Roe v. Wade was to <laughs> American women. Oh, shit. It was like this car we got in 1973. And it worked fine. Yeah. But over the years, just kind of pieces fell off. But we were like, look, this is still our car. This is our only car. Uh, And uh, yeah. That is vivid and accurate. Yeah. Well, I mean, this Sunday, January 22nd, would have been the 50th anniversary of our junky car, Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. But it was obviously struck down last year. And um, they still had the March for Life, though, which I found to be a little bit scary. Well, because, Aaron, they made it celebratory this year. They were they didn't have to bring all the uh, overhyped, crazy graphic photos because they're like, look at us. We won. And I, I appreciate that they really honed in on the symbolism and they didn't end it at the Supreme Court this year because they don't need SCOTUS anymore. They ended it at the Capitol. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. So let's get into that because I think we can look back on 50 years of Roe, but I feel like my car analogy basically did the trick. It was fine. It got worse and worse and worse. Thank you so much. Um, And I also was like, I bet Alyssa's driven a car that's physically fallen apart as she's been driving it. Before, as I was driving my oldest car to the dealer to get a new car, it caught fire. So believe me, I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, thank God back in 2012, that Red Ford Escape was on sale at the dealer because I would have been screwed (laughs) otherwise. Wow. Uh, it's, It's a very good analogy for the rights of women and anybody with a in the U.S. Great. Terrific. So here's the thing. Like, we can look back. I think there have been a lot of good retrospectives about, like, what Roe meant. But I think right now it helps to kind of bring it into focus what it means right now. Roe no longer exists, and here's what that means. Uh Um, Despite the fact that a new NPR Ipsos poll found that three in five Americans believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases, and despite the fact that since Roe v. Wade was overturned, not a single pro-choice referendum has lost in the polls. And that is true. Mm -hmm. State by state, local, whatever. Voters love pro-choice referendums. Um, Despite that, anti-choice forces in the U.S. are really pushing for some wacky bananas legislation. Bills that would restrict travel, If you're a person that lives in a red state, bills that would make it more difficult for you to travel out of state to get abortion care. They want state-level government to be able to interfere with the federal mail system. They want to be able to prevent abortion pills to be delivered to people via the federal mail system. They want to, in Arkansas, a bill is being introduced that would prosecute abortion seekers for felony murder. Mm -hmm. There's a proposed ban on abortion starting at fertilization in Wyoming, which is funny because you're not even pregnant. Right. But Aaron, we know that they have no idea how pregnancy works. No, no, none of these people could find the clitoris with a flashlight and a map or, you know, any part of the reproductive anatomy on the female body. They also, in Montana, representatives have introduced amendments to the state constitution that would exclude abortion from the constitutional right to privacy. So that is pretty... Bleak. What else is going on with the anti-abortion movement, Alyssa? Oh, Aaron, these people have gotten second life. Uh, Let's see. What do they want to do? Well, they want to, I don't know. And the thing is, the thing that's so interesting kind of about the things that they want to do, unclear how any of it would happen, but they are getting creative. Mm -hmm. They want to tax companies that support employees who need to seek abortion. Okay. How you levy such tax unclear, but they're all over it. Uh This one is the one I thought was the most disgusting, I guess, appalling, is that they want to mandate emergency health care for aborted fetuses. What the fuck? So if, (laughs) like, if you say you are pregnant and you find out that there is something wrong with the fetus, it will not survive outside of the womb. It is, it has... uh, abnormalities that are life-threatening. They want, if you have this abortion, for doctors to be on hand to try to save the life of this fetus. However, Aaron, these are the same people who, when a woman is miscarrying, they're like, no drugs for you, no help for you. Sit there, go through it yourself. Don't know if you're going to get septic. You might, but, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. And why are these community college poli-sci majors making rules about the way medicine should be practiced? It is. But another thing that I read that is the, it was interesting because it seemed bad, but then the general counsel for the Center of Reproductive Rights, Jenny Ma, sort of put it best. Activists, anti-abortion activists have filed a lawsuit to reverse the FDA's FDA's decades-long approval of meth... Aaron, you know I always have a hard problem saying this word. Mifeprestone, right? Mifeprestone. Mm -hmm. The case is being heard by a Trumpy judge uh, with a very dangerous track record in an attempt to nationally ban medication 
abortions. Mm -hmm. Jenny Ma says this is actually far more dangerous than the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. Well, because medication abortions are the most common form of abortion because when you have an abortion, it doesn't look like the anti-abortion billboard. It is, in almost all cases, it is before 12 weeks and it is not anything that anybody would recognize as resembling a human baby. Exactly. And because it is... It is the F they're, they're going after the FDA. It would prove to be a nationwide. It would have nationwide impact. Right. And medication abortion is something that you can you can use if it is early in the pregnancy and you yep. would prefer to have an abortion in the privacy of your home. I've used it before. It's basically like it's a it's two doses of medication and the second one causes like a super period. Mm-hmm. And that's something that can be managed at home versus a surgical one, which requires people to go into the office. This is also really helpful. Medication abortion is helpful for people who live far away from facilities yep. that provide surgical abortion care. So if you live in a place where you don't feel safe physically going to the clinic because some creepy old men have posted up outside holding crucifixes. Uh, God, nothing nothing creepier than a pro-life old man. Uh, 100%. Nothing creepier. Making medication abortion illegal and overturning the FDA's approval of it would have reach into every single state, into yep. up every single skirt. It is, uh, it's really, really ridiculous. But the thing is, like, one thing I found to be interesting about judges in an era of like just complete conservative judicial impunity is it doesn't really matter if the reasons that they do things make sense. No, it doesn't really matter because who's who's going to do anything. I mean, like the Supreme Court doesn't need to make any sense anymore because there's nobody that it can actually they don't have to make sense. They get it's, it's a because I said so entity. And I guess we can just kind of say like what they're doing, what the Supreme Court does or doesn't do makes sense or doesn't make sense until we're blue in the face. And they they don't care because why would they? They don't care. Why would they? Right. So the March for Life, which we talked about at the beginning of the segment, is something that's been going on for a really long time. I had to go there and cover it once. It's very, very weird, full of a lot of creepy people. But it also is something that's attended by a lot of really high profile Republicans. Uh, Republican House Majority Leader Steve Scalise was there. Mm-hmm. Um, he pledged support for anti-abortion proposals in Congress, including a bill that would force doctors to practice life support. That's Steve Scalise. Yep. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about. Fortunately, though, there are blue states that are stepping up. I don't, you know, th- this Congress for as wacky of proposals they are going to introduce now that they have the House, um, none of it is going to actually get done. This is them just writing fanfic uh, to appease their donors. Um, But if they were to win the Senate and the White House, they would actually do this crazy, wacky stuff. Yeah, Blue states, in the meantime, are stepping up. States across the Northeast and the West Coast, plus Illinois and Minnesota, yay, Midwest, (laughs) are expected to introduce more proactive abortion legislation. The Women's March held nationwide rallies on the 50th anniversary of Roe. And uh, Vice President Kamala Harris spoke at an event hosted by Planned Parenthood in Florida. Ooh, bold. Bold choice, Kamala. Mm. Harris denounced extremist Republicans and so-called leaders in Florida for restricting abortion and for rules that force healthcare providers to risk going to jail just for doing their job. Alyssa, let's like, where do you think this all is going? Like, we know that abortion is very popular. Right. Government overreach into the way businesses conduct themselves, the way people choose their health care and family formation issues deeply un you know deeply unpopular but they don't seem to care so what where do you think this is all going they don't care well they all have second life now you know they by overturning roe they are raising tons of money because people think they have a chance so they're not going to stop they're going to be as outrageous as they can because even if they get approval or they get enacted 50% uh, of what they're calling for, it's a win. If they get 10%, it's a win. Um, overturning Roe was a win for them. And so I don't think that they are going to stop because nothing nothing is really sort of like locking in. Like in Kansas, the state 
overwhelmingly protected abortion back in August. And the state legislature, members of the state legislature are still coming back. It's like your state spoke. Stop. But they don't care. Yep. And so I just think that, that, that we are in for so much more of just being terrified about because everything now that we've seen what the Supreme Court will do, all these crazy things can't be discounted as impossible right? Mm -hmm. Everything is possible. And so reproductive rights activists are literally battling a million wars on all fronts right now. Mm -hmm. I also read something recently about some conservatives trying to advocate for the Comstock Act to be enforced. The Comstock Act was a bill from like the 1890s that are a law from the 1890s that like restricts sending like smutty pictures. It's like the most uh, terrified prude in the world making laws about, no, you can't send like things in the mail that are going to cause people to be horny or facilitate sex or anything like that. Right. It's like anything they deem immoral or indecent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so here's here's something. We've talked about this before. I think that we've seen a good number of, you know, straight men or men in general, gay, straight, whatever, men stand up and, and speak out in favor of reproductive justice. I would like to see more of it mm-hmm. um, because I don't think that there are a lot of just average guys living in average you know, suburbs in America that really think this affects them. I wonder if there is a way for us to bring up the fact that if the Comstock Act is enforced, I think there goes your internet porn, guys. There it goes. Don't you feel like that would be the perfect Super Bowl ad? (laughs) I mean, it really would get men between 18 and 30 to show up and vote (laughs) as long as, you know, make make it have something to do specifically with their access to uh, pornography. And I think, you know, maybe we'll make some progress. I think in the meantime, like if this translates to conservatives stepping on a field of rakes over and over and over again and just losing elections over and over and over again, bring it on. But I don't want to encourage or be excited about extremism because it's really impossible to predict when it's actually going to take. Right. Um, And so all of it makes me nervous because some of the most extreme things I've seen in my lifetime that I never, ever thought would be mainstream are now mainstream. Um, And so, uh, yeah, on that note, let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we have our interview for the week with Representative Grace Meng. And welcome back. Our guest today has represented New York's 6th Congressional District since 2013. She's the first and only Asian American congressperson from the state of New York, and she's the vice chair of the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus. Last year, Biden signed a bill of hers that seeks to establish the first national museum dedicated to the history of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Representative Grace Meng, welcome to Hysteria. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Grace been too long. I know. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We're glad you're here. We're looking forward to talking to you today. Wish it were under better circumstances. Um, Where were you when you learned about the mass shooting in Monterey Park? Um, Your congressional colleague, Judy Chu, who represents Monterey Park, is also chairwoman of the Congressional Asian American Pacific Islander Caucus. Have you guys spoken? How is she doing? How are your fellow caucus members doing? And how did your community in Queens react? Yeah, thank you so much, Erin, for for asking. I actually happened to wake up in the middle of the night. I think it was around 4 a.m. I happened to check my Twitter feed and saw what was going on in Monterey Park. Uh, There wasn't a lot of information yet. I did text my colleague, Judy Chu, to check in on her, but understandably, she was super busy dealing with everything, trying to get more information. And remember, this was before they caught the suspect. And so the next morning, a few hours later, I had an event at a local Taiwanese-American senior center, a group of people who actually have a lot of friends in Monterey Park. My own uncle lives five minutes away from the studio. 
And so I went to the center and the mood was somber. It was supposed to be a Lunar New Year celebration. It was the first day of the year of the rabbit. Mm. And so we talked and comforted each other. But I really thought it was important for me to be there. I finally saw Judy today and she looks really worn out. And I think that the emotion and the heavy toll of comforting uh, her constituents and really speaking out on behalf of the community across the country is weighing very heavily on her. Grace, Asian Americans have been the target of violence in recent years. Unlike in these two tragedies over the weekend, the perpetrators are often from outside the community and target victims because they are Asian. In 2021, you helped pass a bill that dedicated government resources to reviewing and fighting hate crimes during the pandemic. What can the government do to continue fighting these hate crimes? So a few years ago, soon after the tragedies in Georgia happened, where people died from shootings at local Atlanta spas, we are so grateful to the Biden-Harris administration who were amongst the first to reach out in the days after that tragedy and just months later was able to help us pass that piece of legislation. What we heard from a lot of our allies, groups who have suffered discrimination and who have continuously fought against bias, our friends in the Black community, Jewish community, Muslim, LGBT. One common thread was that there was not enough information and data collected about what was going on in terms of hate crimes and bias incidents. Mm -hmm. And it becomes really hard to mend what you can't measure. Many jurisdictions around the country reported zero hate crimes in any given year. And we know that's not the case as much as we'd like to believe it. So that's the impetus behind that law was to provide a clearer picture so that we can better address it. But actually today in our caucus, Vice President Kamala Harris came and Representative Chu spoke up about what happened over the last few days, including in Monterey Park, and spoke about the importance of passing gun safety legislation. The shooter in the Monterey Park tragedy had a weapon that had no business belonging in his hands or in anywhere near our neighborhoods and communities. And so that is something that we we definitely uh, have to keep pushing forward. Grace, for those who might not be familiar, can you tell our listeners about Lunar New Year? Like, what does it signify to the community? How long does it last? How do you celebrate? And so on. Well, these tragedies would have been horrific on any day of the year. But given that it happened literally on the eve of the first day of the year, that is when we celebrate. That is when we gather with family and we prepare foods We prepare red envelopes of money to give to the children. And what happens on that day, it's sort of a superstition. What happens, we say, sets the tone for the rest of the year. And so this is something that will unfortunately kind of be on the minds of people as they celebrate Lunar New Year every year going forward, especially those in Monterey Park and in California. But it's supposed to be a very happy and joyous day. Asian American Pacific Islanders are the fastest growing racial and ethnic group in America. And this month, you reintroduced legislation to make Lunar New Year a federal holiday. It's already an official state holiday in California. What do you hope to achieve and communicate with the holiday if the bill passes? Sure. Well, we're thrilled to hear about what happened in California. Many years ago, we successfully fought for Lunar New Year to be a school holiday for our public school kids in New York City, which is great fun for the kids. It's not only about a day off, but a chance, like with all holidays, for the whole community and the whole city to learn about the culture and the contributions of the Asian American community. We're looking forward to push this on the federal level as well. And we are the fastest growing community. And it would just be wonderful to be able to to celebrate this in a real way uh, around the country. So this week has already been full of a lot of grief. So let's end on a hopeful note. 2023 is the year of the rabbit in the Chinese zodiac and the year of the cat in the Vietnamese zodiac. What does the year of the rabbit bring? And how can our listeners support members of their local AAPI communities during this holiday? 
Sure. Well, I'm a little biased because I am also a rabbit. Nice. Uh, don't calculate my age. Um, <laughs> I am a rabbit and it often stands for loyalty and steadfastness and peace. And that is really what I hope for our communities across the country, Asian and beyond. Our country has gone through some really tough times in the last few years. And so I really do wish for for more peace and joy this coming year. Representative Meng, I am so excited that you were here today to talk to us about this. You were the perfect person to talk to about this. And I also wanted to let you know, we're taking our one-year-old to her first Golden Dragon Parade this coming Saturday. So we're so excited. Here in Chinatown in LA, we're going to go to the Golden Dragon Parade. We cannot wait. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Festivities go on for weeks on end. Yeah, yeah. And it's awesome. I'm so excited that more people are going to get to experience Lunar New Year if it becomes a federal holiday. Uh, Representative Meng, thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Take care of yourself. Take care of your fellow caucus members. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you so much. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, it's like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. It's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. 
And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team, East or West, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com, and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And welcome back. Alyssa, this is a topic that I've wanted to get into for a little while. And uh, here's how it kind of came into being. Um, Caroline, our producer, needed something from me this week. And I just kept not sending it, not sending it. And she kept texting me, hey, I'm annoying. I'm going to please send me this thing. Hey, I'm annoying. And it felt like she was kind of owning it in a way that I have just recently started to see people really starting to own when they're annoying and mm-hmm. see the value in being annoying. So I really wanted to get a group of some of the smartest women that I know together and talk about why and if we are annoying and if that's good or bad. Let's do it. Um, I'm going to bring in our, our first panelist. Our first panelist runs the nonprofit Rise, advocates on behalf of sexual assault survivors, and is steadfast in her commitment to stopping Asian hate. It's Amanda Nguyen. Amanda, welcome to Hysteria. Hello. You should add that I'm a professional annoyer. Should be the third title <laughs> you add. So yeah, I'm very excited about this topic. <laughs> you should get business cards that just say Amanda Nguyen annoying. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, maybe I will. I love that. Will, will you send me Will you send me one? Yeah. Make them into magnets. <laughs> Okay, I've got plans. I've got plans for you branded as just like an annoying person. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, our next panelist is a writer and currently a supervising producer on the show Solar Opposites out on Hulu. It's Grace Parajani. Grace, welcome. My friends, my friends, I also am very excited about this topic because I am an avowed morning person. And I think morning people are by nature annoying. Grace, I'm with you as a morning person. (laughs) Well, okay. So it seems like everyone here is like, yes, absolutely. I'm annoying. Grace, I think it's been the longest since I've seen you. Yes. Are you annoying and and why? Okay. I am annoying for a few reasons. So morning person, just by virtue of being up at 545, getting in a good workout, taking care of emails before 9 a.m. Like these are annoying traits. I understand this. I lean into it. I like it. I don't drink anymore. So I used to be really fun and now that's gone. And now I'm just sort of like in bed at 930. I also uh, really firmly believe this, that I I have been through enough like rejection in my professional life in the entertainment industry that I'm genuinely very happy to be like waking up every day and going to work and being in, you know, here at Hysteria and being in the writer's room that I bring a level of like excitement and joy that I could see being consistently annoying to other people. (laughs) Um, I think that what is what is pivotal about the definition of annoying is is consistent behavior because anybody can wake up chipper one day but if you do it every day of your life that's annoying mm-hmm. okay okay amanda i would love to hear whether or not you know oh well, you you've already embraced the fact that you're annoying like what does that mean and um how do you feel about it um our model at rise is literally pester for progress p for p <laughs> so every day i'm not kidding you we wake up we have our stand up meeting and it's like who are we p for p today it's usually <laughs> some politician so you know we literally it's <laughs> we devote our lives to the art of annoying <laughs> the art of annoying mm, yeah for you know rights and stuff <laughs> <laughs> those annoying things um Alyssa, are you annoying? Sure. Are you kidding? How are you annoying? I think I've gotten a little less annoying as as I've gotten older. But I mean, look, I'm a woman with a to-do list. Yeah. And if you are in between me and something coming off of my to-do list, I will I will pester you. I will ping you. Hey, guys, just pinging you. Pinging you on this one one more time. <laughs> just curious if you've had a chance to look at this yet. Hey, guys, any updates? Because um, eventually, eventually... 
you will do what I am asking you to do, or you will cop to the fact that you can't do it and you're just going to have to admit it. Mm -hmm. So yes, I am a, in service of my to-do list, I'm quite annoying. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Amanda, was there ever a time in your life where you noticed a shift in the way you felt about being annoying? Yeah, for sure. How did that go? Well, I needed civil rights and that was like a huge part of it. And I was like, oh, well, you know, if I'm not annoying, then I will be denied rights. So that helped me get over that hump. Um, honestly, the first time that I started, I will say as a professional annoyer, aka activist, it was uh, difficult for me to put myself out there and say, okay, I want to be liked. You know, so like how mm -hmm. much further am I going to, you know, annoy this person that I want something from that I admire and respect? Um, and then I realized along the line, I was like, oh, maybe I don't need to be liked. <laughs> I just need mm -hmm. to get this thing done. So that that shift happened when I needed rights. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Grace, did you have a, a, a similar shift between not wanting to be annoying and then leaning into it? Yeah, I was very young. I remember distinctly, I was in fifth grade. Uh, the school that I went to forced us <laughs> to go to Camp Cappy in Texas. But naturally, fifth graders call it Camp Crappy. And there was a rule that if at any any given night at Camp Crappy, you had to get up in the middle of the night to go pee, that you had to take a buddy with you. <laughs> so I remember one night I I had to pee. And so I woke up this girl whose name will remain uh, anonymous, although I very much remember it. Uh, I woke her up and she was like, oh, she was sleepy, whatever. She went with me to the bathroom. We came back. And the next morning I heard her talking about me and she referred to me as annoying. And she was like, oh, so annoying. Grace woke me up in the middle of the night and had to go pee with her. And I was like, oh, and I was flabbergasted. And I remember being so shook by this being the first time that I had ever been referred to as annoying. But I was also like, what were my options? I had to pee. A girl had to pee. So I, I sort of in that moment realized like, if I'm going to be annoying, but I'm <laughs> able to release my bladder, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter. We have our needs. I also firmly believe there's this, this adage, this, this is a very like memeable Twitter <laughs> adage that goes around all the time. That's like, somebody right now is thinking about you or somebody right now loves you so much, which is very sweet and very positive. I love that pop culture. Let's go. Uh, but I think that the same thing is true of annoyance. Somebody right now is annoyed by you and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm hmm. That's interesting. Like, is it, so was it freeing to think that there's nothing you can do to make everyone not be annoyed with you at all times. So you might as well just do what you need. Incredibly frank. And by the way, like this is something that I think maybe maybe as women we struggle with constantly. I certainly do that. Yeah. I, I still do wonder if two emails is too many, if two conversations about something is too many. Am I now going from being polite to annoying all the time? And, and I would love to believe that I'll get to a point at some point very soon in my future where I don't care so much about that and I'll just do it anyway. But I'm not there yet. So I'm still constantly second guessing myself and checking. But I think that maturity involves no longer caring about whether or not somebody perceives you as annoying because fuck it, we got to get stuff done. You know, mm -hmm. annoying women get shit done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amanda, you look like you have something on your mind you want to chip in. Yeah, um, I was reminded that in the beginning, I actually had a note that I taped into my laptop to help me be annoying. And it said, if Ted Cruz can fundraise for his shitty ideas, then I can fight for my good <laughs> ideas. And I mean, I also was very inspired by all of the DNC, all these fundraising emails. Every single time um, I open my email inbox and it's like, give me more money, give me more money. And I'm like, okay, you know, if these like very important people are putting their name <laughs> on this email and they have the audacity or courage, depending on how you look at it, to ask me to chip in just one more dollar, then I can do this too. You know, I learned from Pelosi or Ted Cruz, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> oh, you learned from the, the, the dark master and the light master exactly. of being an <laughs> Alyssa, was there ever a shift for you when you went from being like, I don't want to be annoying to being like, you know what? fuck it. I'm just going to be annoying. 
No, see, I think I was the opposite for me. I think I was always annoying. And I was like, this is what I – like when I didn't know better, when I had no boundaries and I was like this – I was like a heat-seeking missile. I'm like, this is what I have to get done and I'm going to get done and I don't care. I think now I were – I don't – I wouldn't say I worry about it more. I think I'm better at being annoying in a way that does not – at first blush appear annoying. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I may be annoying, but really if I'm just asking you, like I was on a trip this weekend and it's like, I'd send information. Okay. Depart. We're leaving the hotel this time. Everybody got it. And like, no one would reply. And I'd be like, please acknowledge receipt. You know, like, (laughs) because like, I don't know, maybe people don't, maybe the wife, the Wi-Fi was shitty. Maybe they didn't see it. And if they didn't, then I was going to call, but God is my witness. We were all leaving at the same time. And so I think that like, I also maybe pick my battles a little bit better than I did before. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a hierarchy of annoyance. Mm-hmm. It's like if something is truly, okay, this has to get done or everything's going to go to shit, I will blow you up every 30 minutes until you confirm that we're all set. <laughs> but if it's like a little bit more like, I'm sure my, you know who thinks I'm annoying? My husband. I'm like, what do you want for dinner? What do you want for dinner? What do you want for I don't care. It's fine. No, it's not fine. It's not fine. If I get Big Macs for dinner, it's not going to be fine. (laughs) So I think that they are just professionally, I think that I have sorted it out better than I have personally. I literally have a flow chart at Rise of levels of annoyance. So it's like, you know, if you want to pass a bill, right, we like email people and then like maybe a week later we email people. But if it's um, coming up against the legislative deadline, there's literally like a countdown, Mm -hmm. like, one week out, you are calling every single member on that committee, you know, a um, couple days out, you're in person, you're, you're in person. You know? So yeah, for sure. Then at the same time, you thread the needle of not wanting to repel yes. somebody from what you want them to yeah. do by being too yes. annoying. Um, so I love your flow. Your flow chart feels just right. Yeah, we're going to publish it, you know. It's very interesting to compare this to the, in, in the writer's world, the, the annoyance I think is much more passive aggressive. Like as a, as a writer, let's say you take on an, an episode, you're writing your script. Uh, you really like a joke. Okay. So you put it into your script and then the next pass, the showrunner will be like, I don't know that I like that joke. And then rather than say anything to you, they'll just change it. And then suddenly it'll be like, oh, it's gone. And then you'll get a chance again to go back and like pitch and alternatives to jokes (laughs) or whatever. And you can go in and like throw it in again or throw in some alt to it. So it's like this unspoken annoyance to each other, but it's very passive aggressive (laughs) without us actually talking to each other about what we want. We're just doing it and putting it in the script and see who ends up winning. Very, very funny difference. (laughs) Well, sometimes that can be Become, that can be itself kind of funny because yeah. like on SNL I heard that when Al Franken was there he would pitch every single week a sketch called Fart Doctor <laughs> and it just like never <laughs> ever like they never made it that like that's why on 30 Rock they have like the Fart Doctor oh, sketch because it's like it's funny like yeah yeah it's it's like an inside joke I guess from people who worked there before but like there's there's something kind of funny about that I think that When it comes to being annoying, what matters is being in control of the way that you're annoying. You have to have like a self-awareness that goes alongside of it. Like, okay, what I'm doing right now is being persistent and getting this thing. And I understand the way that I'm being annoying. Because I think that it can become dangerous or counterproductive to be annoying if you don't understand Mm -hmm. that you are being annoying if if that makes any sense totally like if you have a specific like you know verbal tick or if there's a specific like way that you word things that that somebody just like doesn't doesn't like the cut of your jib or whatever like it's really important to just have a lot of self-awareness around um how annoying you are like have you ever found somebody that you're supposed to be working with or somebody that wants something from you to be so annoying that it is counterproductive. And I guess the flip side of that is when is a time that somebody started out by annoying you and then ended up getting you to help them with what they needed you to help them with? Well, context is really really important because sometimes I look back and I'm like, were they being annoying or was I just resisting what I had to do because I didn't want to do it for whatever reason? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, 
There's a few examples I can think of. Sometimes you, you volunteer. This is mostly in, in like a volunteer setting. I think when you're when you're getting paid to do something, it's a different situation. I feel like in my mind, I can compartmentalize. Okay, I'm getting paid to do this, so it's fine. Versus like, why did I volunteer for this thing that I don't really have time for, and I don't know that I really have the patience for it? And maybe these people are being annoying about asking me to be at a certain place or sign up for a certain element of volunteer work that I'm like, I sound awful, by the way. Like I'm a piece of shit who doesn't want to volunteer. I do, I swear, but. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes Amanda was just saying that. <laughs> but, so, but sometimes it's like, I think that this person is being very reasonable. However, I am finding them annoying because for whatever reason, I'm resistant and lazy. And that context is very important too. That when you are deciding whether or not somebody else's behavior is annoying, it's important to self-check the self-awareness that you're referencing. Aaron is so right. Because it's like, this person might be asking something very reasonable. However, I am sleepy or I, you know, have this work deadline. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. And like, now I'm being annoyed, but like this person is, it's not their fault. I think annoying has to be tied to some kind of right or entitlement. Otherwise then you're just being like rude. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have, you know, if, if you actually, the task has to be done and there is like an actual amount of entitlement to the other person being like, you need to get this task done. Then I think it's okay to be annoying. Um, you know, that's what, protests are annoying Mm -hmm. people. (laughs) Amanda, that is what I was just going to say is that the problem is I think annoying has become too all encompassing. Mm. So it's like, even in our, like I walk into my building and someone in front of me who has nothing in their hands asks (laughs) someone else to carry all their shit upstairs for them. I would be in my head. I'd be like, so annoying. Actually, no, that's an asshole. That's not annoying. That's an asshole. And so I think that there's a, uh, that annoying, I feel like, is something that's very, like, women think of themselves as annoying, and it seems like maybe annoying's not that bad. But, like, honestly, sometimes it's just that person's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Or, like you said, like, they're rude. You know, it's not annoying. For sure. I think the denigration of annoying and the social discouragement that we have toward annoying is sometimes put out there mm. as a way to discourage people who have been wronged from yes. speaking up. Yes. Amanda, go ahead and jump in. Oh, I feel very strongly about this. I feel like it is a <laughs> gaslighting tactic by the institutional powers that be to silence people, right? To like, if you had the ability to create a, the most powerful tool to keep people silenced, um, it won't be only physical, like, you know, I don't know, fences and walls, it would be people's minds, right? And Mm -hmm. telling people Mm -hmm. that, oh, well, you'll be uncool if you speak up. Or maybe like, you won't be liked if you speak up. Um, And you want to belong with us. That's one of the most powerful tools there is. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think absolutely. And I also want to point out a theme that each one of us have like touched upon, which is that perhaps... Annoying is an adjective used to describe predominantly women, you know, and mm-hmm. um, why is that, right? Why, why is nagging a thing that happens? Because in mm-hmm. marriages, women still hold the lion's share of work um, when it should be a 50-50 thing, right? So, um, yeah, I definitely think that it is a, it is a tactic. I think it's super gendered. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it in the context of like gender relations, because I think that that's that's a great segue. Um, Amanda, you bring up a really good point, which is that there is something gendered about the way that annoying is described within the context of hetero relationships in a lot of cases. And um, nagging is kind of a subset of, of the like annoying trope. And Grace, you seemed very excited by that. I would love to hear your thoughts on like nagging and annoying and what that pipeline looks like. Yeah. Cause I don't think I've ever once thought of my husband as naggy or annoying. And yet I can definitely see that certain behaviors of mine are annoying. I would describe them as annoying. So I don't know why my, my default is, is that, um, you know, the patriarchy, I think it is really the patriarchy. <laughs> that said, I can definitely think of like, you know, gentlemen who I've worked with in the past or went to school with or whatever, who I would definitely describe as annoying. So I don't know if that's something that I I feel like protective over in some ways. Like I don't want to ascribe that to my husband because it does have a negative context. So that's why I haven't been thinking of like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about that, but it does feel super gendered. Like, I don't know that I don't, I don't really have an answer for it. 
I believe that nagging is something that is, ugh, I think it's such an insidious characterization of men not listening. Um, yeah. It puts the onus on women to be heard, and then it makes it our problem when men have to be reminded of to do something more than once. I saw on my Instagram feed, which Instagram's algorithm is hot oh, mess express. It's, it's so, so bad. bad. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Why? Why am I getting served up like hashtag dad jokes and they're all oh, so no. hacky? I don't want to see it. I've had to do notifications to make sure I don't miss certain people's. Problems. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Because it's such a mess. Yeah. Because I'm like, why? Why? Why am I getting this? This is crazy. Yeah. I got something the other day served up to me just to give you an idea of how how much the algorithm has lost its way. It was a video that was like, here's, it was like real footage of me, uh, what happens the first time my wife tells me something. And it shows like a fax machine spitting out a piece of paper and then going directly into a paper shredder. <gasps> and like, I, God. look, I don't know why I did this. I was like, I'm choosing violence today. <laughs> um, but I, com I, I commented on the post. Oh, does this happen at work or just when your wife asks you? Oh, oh yeah. I love it. <laughs> because I really think that it is like the whole genesis of nagging is women in hetero relationships having to repeatedly remind their partners to do something. And the reason that they have to repeatedly remind them is because their partners don't listen to them. And the reason their partners don't listen is because they don't respect them. Mm -hmm. Like if, mm -hmm. if they were at work with a, I mean, look, I I've got clearly, I'm like in the wrong side of TikTok right now, but, um, <laughs> because I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, but you know, if, if men acted like that at work, Nobody would hire men. Yeah. You know, nobody would hire men because it's like they don't listen to things. They have to be reminded 30 times to do basic tasks, but but it's totally acceptable for them to act that way at home. And uh, it totally drives me. It drives me nuts. The other week, Josh told me I was nagging him and I was like. Oh, yeah. Like that steam was <laughs> out of my ears. And the thing is, by the definition of nagging, I had reminded him to do something many times, and I was become I was escalating in my persistence and tone as he continued to not do the thing that needed to be done. Um, but I was just like angry at the concept of nagging yeah. at that moment. Yeah. I was just like, you know what? I'm not gonna like not. I'm not gonna just be like, oh, okay. Well, you know, you didn't take your wet laundry out of the washing machine. After I reminded you three times, so it's okay. I guess I can just be in the washing machine. Like, I'm not going to— Also, you can just figure out how to make the washing machine not smell now that it's going to smell like mildew. And it'll be impossible to eradicate yes. because you take your wet laundry. Yeah, out. that's true. Well, there it, it is possible Sorry. to eradicate it, but it requires some creative Googling and some— It's hard. Yeah, it is. It's like baking soda. It's, hard. it's like one of those, like, chemistry lab things that you have to do in your in your washing machine. Vinegar and baking soda, oh. all the things. <laughs> um, Alyssa, do you find—do you find, like, um, you're talking— Talking a little bit about being annoying with your husband partner. Do you find that the concept of being annoying is something that gets brought up a lot in hetero relationships? I think so, but I think it's also it's in the vein of nagging, as you said. That like mm -hmm. that like why annoying is is bringing something up repeatedly, which I guess is nagging. And it's like why do you do it? Either the person's not listening to you, um, or they're just not. They've heard you, and they're just not doing what you have requested without saying, here's why I'm not going to do it. If I said something mm -hmm. and David didn't want to do it, this is, I'll give him all the credit on earth for this. If I say something, he doesn't want to do it. He'll be like, no. And here's love why. That. So, love that. So, but at that. least I'm heard. Yes. You know what I mean? So yes. At I least it's like, you. okay. And, and we have also in our lives, we have very strict lanes. You know, he does the laundry he does the dishes. I do. So there's not a lot of gray area where we have to ask the other person to do something. But if it comes up, I will say that he always responds with a why or why not it will be done. <laughs> Love that. Mm -hmm. That's communication That's right there. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Let's, let's round out this conversation by suggesting ways that we can finesse being annoying into a positive trait. 
Uh, Amanda, I feel like you've got so much experience finessing being annoying into a positive trait. How does a person go from being afraid of how annoying they can be to embracing it and really leaning into it for the forces of good? Um, Yeah. Pick your favorite or most hated billionaire (laughs) and then see what they're fundraising about and say, if this enter billionaire here can ask people for money then I can do this. There you go. (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. Grace, how about you? Okay, I think reclaiming the word annoying would be great. We need to give it a slogan. Like, you know, nevertheless, she persisted. Nevertheless, she annoyed. All we need (laughs) is a little little (laughs) shift of that phrase. And I think that we'll have annoyance back on our side. Nice, nice. Would you wear a shirt that said annoying across it? (laughs) Yeah, annoying AF for sure, yeah. Annoyed and annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Annoyed on the front, annoying on the back. Or it's reversible. (laughs) I mean, we could do it. Um, Alyssa, how how would you, what, what advice would you give to somebody who is ready to move past their fear of their own annoyingness? Okay. So since I said that a lot of my annoying behavior is propelled by my to-do list, you know why I don't feel bad about it? Because at the end of the week, I look at my to-do list and I was like, this all got done. None of it, almost none of it ever benefits me personally, right? It's like I'm being annoying on behalf of others. Look at everything that got done and all for good reason and good things happened because of it. So like, fuck off. Amazing. So like, fuck off. So fuck off. Let's end on that thought. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to do our Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty segment. So stick around. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Guys, it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst but we have a better idea for you which is pick out something from the crooked store the store is stocked with tons of new merch it's perfect for the spring and classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship depending on how things go pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year or a hat celebrating your favorite pod go to crooked.com store to shop And welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but not quite, because we wouldn't let you go without telling you what is keeping us sane or making us feel petty this week. It is Sani Petty. Amanda, why don't you start us out? Yeah, I have a really meaningful Sani to me, and it's all of the Asian American people who got Oscar nominations. So shout Ooh. out to Michelle Yeoh, to Keith, who's the sweetest person in the world, by the way, to Julia Cho. This week has been hard for the AAPI community, so that was a saving grace. Amazing. That's a great Sanity Corner. What is your favorite movie that you saw this year? Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Like, yeah. no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Michelle's going to win? Yes. She better. I'll be annoying about it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay. I have a sanity corner too. And uh, this is just like not a thing that's like mass consumable, but my sanity corner is like moments of kindness that people can sometimes just show strangers. 
And uh, so I got to tell I got to tell you guys a story. We are teething in this house, and by we I mean my daughter. <laughs> and by, and but I say we because it's everybody's problem that she's teething. You know, because it's she's very she gets very grouchy, and um. So one thing that there's not very much available in terms of like painkillers for babies. It's basically baby Tylenol or baby Motrim and that's it. Like you can't really give them very many medicines. So uh, we are also right now in a really tough RSV like viral season for little kids. So there's a lot of sick little kids right now. As a result, most places uh, don't have children's Tylenol or children's painkillers in stock in my neighborhood at least. So, um, you know, I'm it, I'm at a local Target with my whining, whining, whining 15-month-old. She is in so much pain, and they're totally out of painkillers for infants. And I go to the pharmacy counter, and I'm like, do you guys have – I'm, like, about to cry myself because, like, there's nothing that quite, like, grates on your nerves, like having a kid be like, ah, 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 and, like, for six hours at a time. Uh, they're like, no, we don't keep that back here. Okay, cool. Well, I get on an elevator and uh, start a small conversation with a woman on the elevator who also had a kid a little bit older than Juniper. And I was like telling her, yeah, we're teething and we're, they just to- don't have any painkillers left. And she goes, oh, do you want this infant Motrin? I got the last one. You can just have it. I was just stocking up. You can have it. She's like, she clearly needs it more than my little guy does. We have some at home already. It's fine. And I was like, oh my God. And then the elevator door opened and she just got off and like walked away into Target. And I was just like- Like an angel. An angel on earth. I was like, that's so nice. It's so nice. And I feel like I try to like put kindness out into the world whenever I can. And there's not very many times that I really feel it like come back to me. You know, and it just was that was a moment where I was like, whoa, that is like true kindness coming, coming back. That was like, that just like when you crowdsourced the formula for people. Yeah, well, right. But that was a that was another time that we saw a ton of kindness between strangers when we were having like a formula shortage and people were having trouble feeding their babies and people were putting up Instagram posts and sharing things. And, and it was really like a cool moment among a, a, a bad situation. But that was just like this moment where I was like, oh my God, I feel so good about people. Like that was so nice. Of that was so nice. So that's my sad. That's my sanity corner. I don't know. She probably doesn't listen. Um, she didn't seem really like our show's target demo. Um, you but never know. If she does, she, if she does, she really like made my week and she made Juniper's week because once she got some painkillers, she took a nap. Oh. That was great for me. Okay, Grace, you're up next. Is it Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty this week? This is an I Feel Petty. This is a linguistic I Feel Petty about a phrase that I just learned that probably not only ages me, but makes me probably a year and a half late to this trend. But I just learned that there's this phrase going around that's called Riz Game. I don't know if you guys have heard of Riz Game or the kids telling each other, like, yo, his Riz Game is... So Riz apparently is short for charisma. And when people think that somebody is charismatic or like pulls like hotties or whatever, they call it Riz game. And there's something about that that annoys me. Talk about annoying. I I don't like it. I don't like it. Say charisma. First of all, that's a great word. It's a great, it's a, it's so good a word that it can be a name for humans. That's how good it is. And Riz also is just, it's too close to jizz. And I really at first thought that Riz was a portmanteau. Oh God, such a bad word. It's bad. It's really bad. It's, I don't like it. I don't like it. So that's my petty this week. Let's not, let's not use Riz game. Let's not do it. Charisma's fine. It's a great word. Well, I think the three of us are good to not use Riz game. (laughs) Yeah. I don't need that. I don't need that evil in my life. (laughs) Alyssa, how about you? Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty? I think it's a Sanity Corner. I mean, I just thought it was so funny. I had to share. I was watching the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday on their hearing about Ticketmaster. And, okay, I just want to know that being corny is bipartisan um, because, and let me quote from this morning's uh, broadsheet, Some senators couldn't resist having a little fun with Swift's lyrics. Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut told Live Nation to look in the mirror and acknowledge, I'm the problem, it's me. 
Senator Mike Lee from Utah called the idea of limits on ticket resale a nightmare dressed like a daydream. And not to be outdone, Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota said that Congress knows all too well the impact of too much consolidation in one industry. God bless all three of you. That was really funny. And I appreciate that they, you guys, is it possible that only Swifties can find bipartisan delight? I don't know, but I'm here for it. Um, okay, this is the only time we're going to be like, we're going to be like, bless you, Mike Lee, because other times it's like, oh, that's no, but you, Mike Lee. I give everybody credit for being <laughs> a little corny, but also adorable. Right. Oh, totally. You know what? I, I, I wonder which staffers on their respective staffs were able to convince them like, you got to They were do like, this. do it. I <laughs> promise you'll end up on hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that that is a good one. Senate Judiciary Committee, rarely a sanity corner, but that is uh, that's kind of delightful. That's delightful. Right. Um, Okay. well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. Thank you, Amanda and Grace, for coming by. Thank you to Alyssa for being my ride or die. Thanks to Congresswoman Grace Meng for joining us as well. And uh, if you like what you heard, rate us, review us, tell your friends. Send them text links to, you know, whatever your Spotify playlist of Hysteria episodes, whatever. Uh, There will be more Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. <laughs> 